just gonna wait there we go it says live all right so i never know how to start these uh but we're just gonna jump in welcome to orbit live folks i'm brett and i'm here with wow travers today <laughs> say hi travers hello <laughs> hello i'm travers uh, so this is the first time we're trying this. We're going to obviously run into some technical glitches. I'm sure of it as we do this. But the thought here is that we would create these live streams once a week and just talk about some interesting articles that we stumbled across uh, in the week prior. Not necessarily exactly you know something new from that week but just something we stumbled across that we thought was interesting and uh, we wanted to talk about it we've got today i think uh, four things we want to talk about so why don't we just uh, jump right in and here's our first possible technical glitch moment yeah let's see if it comes up there we go so on my side i'm seeing uh, us and i'm seeing the first article that we wanted to talk about and this is about uh, Code Whisperer and some of the new capabilities in Code Whisperer. So why don't we, why don't we start with what the heck is Code Whisperer? You're more of the uh, AI person, so why don't why don't you kick us off and give us the the fifty thousand foot view about uh, Code Whisperer? Okay, well, if you want to see it from the highest level perspective, it's GitHub's Copilot, but the Amazon answer to that okay. is what it looks like. Okay. So. Yeah, I guess uh, I've, I've skimmed this article. It seems like they are, they've introduced customization so you can tune it to your dev environment, your projects. Yeah, yeah. So I've, I, Code Whisper is interesting. Like it, I know Amazon's talking a lot about just Gen I in general, right? And Code Whisper has been on my roadmap for a while now. Like just uh, trying to figure out a reason to use it, to test it out and see what's possible. And give it a whirl. Give it a whirl, yeah. So I set it up in our account, and the first thing that I, I thought was really interesting is you've got the two options, right? You've got a free option, and then you've got a paid option. The free option means that any training that happens from, uh, you know, again, I don't know exactly the, the, the right terms to use, but if you're in the free version, you're using Code Whisperer, yeah. your training data ends up back uh, in the product for everybody else to use. Amazon gets access to that. Amazon gets Makes access sense. to it. And then if I'm reading the documentation correctly, when you pay for it, it doesn't. So if that's important to you, then you know you might want to look at it. And then uh, it's not super expensive on the pro side. I think it's 19 bucks mm -hmm. per user per month. So oh, I guess, that, yeah, depending on how how much you plan on using it, um, it might be worth the 19 bucks, especially if you're concerned about where your training data ends up. Like if you're working on things that you don't want to share or something like that, I, I don't really have a good sort code, of, yeah. yeah, a situation where that would be concerning. The one thing, you know, once I kind of actually spent a little bit of time looking at this, mm -hmm. I found the hardest part was actually, so I use PyCharm, was actually yeah. getting the credentials set up properly. So when you go into the oh, toolkit sure. kit and, and you have to log in and stuff, uh, we're using Identity Center and it it was a bit of a pain. Now, I'm sure it was user error, but um, that was actually the hardest part. Once I once I figured out, did little, well, actually did some 
manual reading instead of just clicking on buttons to see what would happen. It was actually well documented and, and I could do it pretty quickly. But you know, I gotta say, I was impressed. I used it for the first time. Uh, I teach the AWS developer class quite often. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a little demo they, that you can do. And I write a lot of code as we're going through the class together. And I gotta say, I'm like, I said to the folks in the class, I'm like, okay, we're, we're gonna talk about Code Whisperer later, but I've already enabled it in PyCharm. Let's go write some of these little sample chunks of code. And it was yep. pretty impressive. Like you just type a comment, uh, download an object from an S3 bucket. And you put that in the comment in your, in your, in your, yeah. in your Python script. And it spits out uh, like three or four suggestions and you just, you can flip through them and decide on the one that you, that you wanna use. And nice. it was impressive how quickly we were able to write code. Like Yeah, and they they accelerate you when you're doing those little scripts, right? Have yeah. you used um Copilot at all? I haven't, no. I know you've yeah. mentioned it a couple times. Have you yeah, been using so it or Yeah, I have it on my uh, home machine and it's pretty good. Yeah. It does pretty much the same thing. Actually funnily enough, the business license for Copilot is the same price. So they're competing neck yeah. and neck. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, for those little utility scripts, it is pretty quick, pretty snappy, and usually pretty accurate. Yeah. You know, in that training class, it's a three-day training class. I don't think I wrote any code in that training class. So what we oh, yeah. did in the um, in the class was we like, okay, this is the demo we want to do. Somebody give me a prompt. Like, give me, like, in English, what is it that we want to do? And somebody would just type in the chat, I want to connect to S3 and upload an object, just to use that same example. And we would put that as the comment and bloop, there is the the output. It was it was impressive. And I don't recall having to actually go and change the code. Like we had to do a few extra things like we wanted yeah. to use sessions instead of just like the direct client connection because we wanted to right. wanted to demonstrate how to use profiles and all that in your configs. But um, I bet you, even if I had have worded the prompt a little better, it it would have just done that for me, right? Yeah, probably. That's half the battle, right? Is getting the prompt correct for what you wanted to do. Yeah. Because otherwise, it'll spit out something that is close enough to what you asked it for, and then yeah. it may or may not be best practices for code. So. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a question because I haven't used Copilot, and and not to like bake the solutions off against each other. When you're using Copilot. And mm -hmm. in my limited experience with Code Whisperer, like I mentioned already, we really didn't have to change a whole lot of stuff. Did you find that in your experience with Copilot, it was like you could pretty much use that code as is, or did you have to like run it and oops, this doesn't work and try to go back and fix some stuff? How did it work? Mm, so it really depends on what you're doing. If you're doing something that is pretty common to do, like you're setting up uh, maybe like an API path or something or uh, a piece of a confirmation template, it'll get the, the structure right yeah. most of the time. Yeah. So for a simple task, it gets it right like 95% of the time, yeah. I found. Yeah. And but was... as soon as you go to do oh. any kind of like processing or, or uh, more complex tasks, like uh, it can it can mess up. So. It can mess up. Yeah. I know when, when ChatGPT first came out and, and we were feeding it prompts to create uh, the, the example I think of, we were working with a customer on Nginx, right? And I remember yeah. it, it being very confident that this is how you you configure your rules in Nginx. And we right. were joking, uh, 
a lot of times it, it wasn't right. We ended up spending a fair amount of time either sort of, what do they call it? Eng- prompt engineering, like going back and saying, yeah. wait, try it this way, make this change or whatever. And in the end, we ended up mostly just writing the code ourselves through documentation. But it'll be interesting to see how these things kind of continue to get better over time. They're getting pretty good. Yeah. They're getting really good. Yeah. I know <laughs> a friend of mine said that they had a test team write some test cases, use Chat GPT to write some test cases, and it wasn't quite <laughs> wasn't quite there yet. Wasn't quite there. Or so funny, needed, it, but well, I guess yeah. it gets you started, right? Yeah, exactly. Points you in the right direction. If you're using a dedicated model for code, like Whisper or Copilot, I bet they would have a better time. But yeah, probably. You know, another interesting thing, just because you were mentioning a friend, I was I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. Uh, he's primarily working in in GCP, and yep. uh, him and another friend of ours. I don't have the whole backstory, but I guess the two of them are working on a little bit of a project together. He's very technical. The other guy is not, and he was saying to me the other day that he pretty much created, he's using, he did subscribe to ChatGPT4, so he's paying Mm -hmm. for it. And he said um, that he hasn't written a single line of code yet. And they're doing it as a little bit of an experiment to see how far they can get. So they've built out a complete serverless solution with a web front end and everything. And he's like, we're we're solely relying on ChatGPT to give us all the the code. And and he said, so far, it's gotten us pretty much the entire way. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, well, you know what? A lot of these applications share boilerplate. Like they're very similarly configured, very similarly set up there. It's 90% of the solution is the same every time, right? So I think that's why these models work so well. Yeah. So early in the yeah. process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. the 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 article that we pulled up, I know we haven't talked about it yet, but I actually gave oh, yeah. this a test, this customization capability um, yeah. feature. I set it up in our account and I just wanted to see how it would work. And it is slick. So now when I say slick, I mean the setup. It was super easy. So it supports, let me see if I can quickly find it here. It supports GitHub, GitLab, now, as far as I could tell, not self-hosted GitLab environments. So if you're okay. if you're paying for GitLab, right? And then it also supports uh, S3. So you can use S3 as your code repo, dump all your code in it, and then point oh, the sure. sort of customization yeah. capability to that. And then there was one other one, I think. Was it Bitbucket probably? Oh, you got it. Yeah, Bitbucket, yeah. right? Uh, and it's interesting. It's using CodeStar. I don't know if you're familiar with CodeStar, but CodeStar, oh, yeah. yeah, remember it's like kind of like a, it was almost like I describe it or I think of it as like a wrapper. So you could go to CodeStar yeah. and say, I want to create a web application and CodeStar would go out and create the pipeline for you, your repository, all that great stuff, connect it to GitHub or whatever. So I guess CodeStar under the hood is still doing this stuff. I don't know. It's it's abstracted away. You don't actually, as far as I could tell, you don't see CodeStar anywhere, but set it up yeah set it up it took me like five minutes to set it up i didn't even check to see like how could you do it programmatically like cli or if it's supported in cloud formation i just did it through the console and then i came back a couple hours later and i had that moment because you need a certain amount of data it's basically using the repo to train a model for you which makes a lot of sense right You, you what's the value of a model if you've got one mega data sitting there. It's not going to improve it at all. It's so I like think nowhere near enough. Yeah, not enough. I think it said that you needed 10 meg of 
uh, supported data. And then okay. it would yeah. build off of that. And I didn't do any sort of investigation into the costs or anything like that. I just wanted to turn it on and see uh, what it would do. So it, it looked pretty neat. I, I think if you've got those large repos of sort of, you know, Big repositories of, yeah, yeah, like if you've got a, a large source of data and you want to be able to use that in the model privately, because again, this doesn't go back into the larger training bucket, but you want to be able right. to use your own sort of knowledge, it would make a lot of sense, assuming that you've got enough data there that you could use. All right. So this is pretty cool. And then I guess I didn't put it in the list here, but I think it was just yesterday, let's say earlier this week, they announced another new feature for this that it now has mm -hmm. uh, CloudWatch dashboards and CloudWatch metrics. Oh, nice. Yeah, I didn't okay. dig into it enough to know, like, what do you actually get from a metrics perspective from Code Whisperer? Yeah. Like, is it number of I users or something like that? I don't know. Uh, it was pretty neat. Yeah, usage. I, they, I mean, it's they probably... Do they bill by usage at all, like, for yeah. code-generated tokens? I wonder. I usually in these blog posts, there's usually the a, a link to the pricing page for this. But see this, this is also cool. It, it you know, it, it rates your your uh, customization, you know, how good is the oh. <laughs> the source data, right? Yeah, so oh, that's, so it'll give you a quality yeah, metric and, for it. Yeah, and then see in here, now you're in your browser, in your IDE, and you can, if you've got multiple customizations, you can say which one you want it to connect to to use that for your model and stuff. So it's pretty neat. Right. That's yeah, so I don't see anything about billing for usage, just a monthly cost per user. So, yeah. But that's just for baseline code whisperer. Yeah. Well, and see, this is public preview. So maybe maybe for now oh, they're anything to change. free yeah. of charge. And then later on they say it's X dollars. So I thought that was pretty neat. Anything else you want to yeah, talk about with uh, code whisperer? No, I think I'm good. I just I think that would be really good for those. I know a lot of the big tech companies actually operate on mono repo situations like they'll have their whole tech stack in a one git repository and then they'll update it that way so probably if you have something like that going then yeah. you're going to benefit from this yeah makes sense and i'm noticing uh kevin made a comment in the chat uh sorry kevin i didn't notice it uh, he mentioned earlier on that uh i'm inferring some stuff here but uh because i don't have the context but uh he mentioned that Code Whisperer sounds similar to Copilot. So, Kevin, have you played with Copilot at all? Have you tried it out or any sort of AI coding companion at this point? It does seem like they're directly competing. So, this yeah. is AWS's yeah. version of it, right? Pretty much. Yeah. It's the same cost <laughs> yeah. for, for business here. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's go on to the next article. The next article, I'll let you start us off on this one. Uh, this is one you shared, I think. So uh, from Jefferson Frank, everything that you need to know about Gen A on AWS, Gen AI on AWS, yeah. which I think is quite tall order for not a super long <laughs> article. But uh, yeah, it's not hey. it's less than 2,000 yeah. words. Yeah, anything like, jump out at you on this one? I did notice that a lot of the things that they're excited for for gen ai is for text generation specifically for customer service and uh creativity workflows yeah 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 so i kind of like oh go ahead 
I was going to say, there's a lot of uh, customer support stuff in here, like chatbots and reviews and assistance and that kind of thing. Um, employee efficiency they go over, so productivity, code generation, etc. Looks like they're starting to get, yeah. I'm excited to see where that goes, but... Yeah. You know, I, I when I read through this article, I, I kind of had the same take, right? It, it seems it seems like, hey, look at all the great things you can do with AI. And again, yeah. around sort of the large language models and stuff like that. And then as you kind of continue to scroll through it, I think some of the interesting stats that they put in here, well, are interesting. And the fact that, you know, yeah. the idea is that you could streamline your business. Uh, you know, lots of people plan on adopting AI and machine learning in the next five years, it'd be interesting to see what that actually means, right? right? Like, how are you going to use it? But then as you continue on, like you were mentioning, I made a few highlights as I was reading this uh, down in here, right? Like content generation, personalization, conversational AI. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, I think that the real killer for this, like the really big Ad, uh, adaptation for Gen AI in the workplace is going to be when Microsoft releases their uh, their Office companion because mm. they're going to add it to Excel and Word. Okay, so that'll change. That's going to change a lot of things. Yeah, that'll be interesting. So I use a piece of software right now. I've used it for years. It's called Grammarly, and oh, I yeah. gotta I gotta tell you, it is it's fantastic. Like. You know, I, <laughs> I like I spell check on steroids. Yeah, it's. I read the suggestions that it sends back to me as I'm writing. And I'm like, hmm. All right, yeah. I I realized that I don't have a very firm grasp on the English language whatsoever. <laughs> my my grade twelve English teacher would probably yeah. agree, but uh, that's a whole other story. <laughs> it's amazing to me, and now they've got like. Um, they have a name for it. I can't remember what it is, but you can basically select a piece of your text and say, hey, improve this, make it more casual, make it more formal. Oh, yeah. And it gives you Change suggestions back. Yeah, it's it's pretty slick. So like you said, once you start seeing those features in those big office products, uh, that'll be really interesting to see what happens. Yeah, and I'm sure AWS will be supporting a backend for a lot of that stuff, right? Uh, I would I mean, Microsoft's so. going to... Yeah. Not Microsoft, because they'll be on their own stack, but yeah. for the rest of the world. I would suspect that a lot of it will run on top of the, the AWS platform, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then it, down here, right? Business benefits of generative AI. And I, I kind of read through some of these things. And again, you know, virtual assistants, chatbots, stuff like that. I guess the thing that hung me up on this is, haven't we had chatbots for a really long time? So like, we have had chatbots and they've been... There's actually some interesting studies back in the day. I think it was in the 80s. Like someone developed a chatbot that someone got emotionally attached to. And it was just a, it wasn't anything fancy. It was just like a, a dumb program, right? Yeah. But so the funny thing is, is how little it actually takes to get someone believing that the machine is <laughs> a, th a thing not that's a talking about it. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't take yeah. very much, right? No. But, so I think we kind of hit that breakthrough with the uh, these LLMs. So this might be and, a stupid uh, question. Yeah. Is is the difference between like the chatbots that people have tried to use for a mm -hmm. long time now and sort of what they're talking about, let's say in this particular article, like a chatbot or a virtual assistant, yeah. is the fact that it these chatbots will have access to those LLMs, whereas the old ones yes. did not. So it was much more programmatic. Yeah, the real, the I mean, old chatbots were all rules-based pretty much. Yeah. Um, 
you could have responses and whatnot, but or natural language uh, detection generation, that kind yeah. of thing. But for these, you actually have a large language model on the back end. So whether that's going to be Clode or, or one of the other bedrock models that they've got, yeah. uh, it'll be in interacting with that. Okay. So that's just a crystallization of the entire content of the internet, basically. <laughs> in your chatbot. In your chatbot. Yeah, yeah. You can I, train on the subset of things. On, on a subset, yeah. I know I, I won't say it, but the, the I won't use the, the wake word, but I have an echo sitting on my desk. And I know for a uh -oh. long time when we were working on, on voice skills and stuff like that, and I know Kevin was working on these too, the intent-based system within the echo yeah. Uh, ecosystem or, you know, platform, if you want to think of that. I was always impressed at how you could give it just a few ideas of intent and it mm -hmm. could infer what that person was asking. And I can only imagine with these larger models and just where we've come over the last couple of years, uh, how how much more advanced these, these chatbots. So maybe chatbots will actually become useful, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... They put a Bing search on ChatGPT now, so you can you can tell it to go Google things for you. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. So you can go to to chatbot on Bing and tell it to Google stuff for you. Yeah, you know what I saw <laughs> that was. <laughs> yeah, you could. I saw this other thing. Boston Dynamics just released a video where they had their spot dog um, paired up with a generative language model. Yeah. So you could tell ask the dog to take you on a tour, and it would walk you around their little testing area and they had like all kinds of personalities for it like i think the one they used in the video was fancy butler yeah so he would <laughs> take you around the tour and you could talk to it and ask it questions and it would explain things about the uh the office it was wild oh that's neat yeah kevin just made yeah. a comment in chat about uh, models trained on customer mood yeah yeah that's a big one that's big right and and uh aws has had a service for that for a long time uh what's it called um Oh man, I know there's transcribe and then there's, are you Googling it? Yeah, I'm looking it up. Yeah. Comprehend? Comprehend is That's for it. text gaffer. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be, I, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of these services have had AI models behind them for a long time, but it's now sort of, yeah. people are talking about it rather than just sort of having the model behind the scenes and you were not really talking directly to it maybe is the way I kind of think of it. I don't know if that's the right way to think about it or not, but that's kind of how my brain is trying to sort things out as we go. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah I mean, they've been accumulating this data for a while. So yeah. The one thing that jumped out at me and you know, is right mm -hmm. here elsewhere, insightful call analytics and handy agent assistance improve blah, 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 blah. I would say AI as a whole, I would completely say it's success if it does one thing. The next time I call my cable provider and uh -huh. they ask me to enter my phone number, right? To go to service. Yeah. And then the person says, hey, thanks for calling. Could I get you to give me your phone number? If that <laughs> part of the conversation were to go away because now they have handy agent assistance in some sort of AI, I, I think that's a win. We're done. I, I, I never understand that. Why do I have to type it in if you're gonna ask me the moment you pick the phone up, can't you get that information? Like, shouldn't you have that? Why did I have to type it in? That's that's going to be up to them to update their uh, <laughs> yeah their call yeah. center models. Maybe you can do that in uh, in Connect. Yeah. 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 Anything else in in this article that uh, that I jumped out at you? 
pretty much covered it yeah. for the most part. They're basically saying, oh, look at all of this efficiency you might gain. Yeah, and, and I think they wrap this up, right? This barely scratches the surface of what organizations may be able to achieve in the future running Gen AI on AWS. That's it, the big question, right? Yeah, obviously it's going to impact every single industry. Uh, it's just, I think, for me at least, and maybe this is just me being grumpy, I I, I would love to see some some real use cases, right? Mm. And, and see how people are actually doing. I'm sure people are, um, but I just... I've heard a lot of talk about it, but I haven't actually seen any good demos or somebody showing me how this could actually be implemented in a work environment, which it's I early think is days. the key. Yeah, oh, it's early days. Early yeah, days it's sure. early days. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I've seen the, the idea of like a wiki you can just query with a question sound is kind of compelling for your own documentation, but yeah. yeah. So how does this, uh, here's one more question on, on, on <clears throat> this Gen AI stuff in general, Code Whisperer now just kind of, the the segment as a whole what do you think this is going to do to sites i won't name any particular site but you can imagine what i'm thinking about <laughs> where we all used to go to figure out how to write code before do you think those sites I, even exist anymore i think the one you're thinking of is in deep trouble <laughs> yeah i would think so i bet you somewhere somebody has some metrics that show you know traffic was here and now it's here yeah, I think Stack Overflow is going to be in a real bad spot yeah, after I think this. So. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, it's you know what it, it's. I don't. I often joke like I don't know how we actually wrote code until those types of sites came around. Like I remember, oh, yeah. you know, pulling out a book and having to flip through a book. It's six months old, and you're like, oh man, this is already out to date, out of date. And then when those kinds of sites came around, you're like, yeah. oh my god, this is fantastic. And now you've got it right in your IDE. You don't have to go anywhere. You just ask it to help you with something and there it is yeah pretty yes, cool I, pretty cool they, they're gonna have to pivot pretty hard i think <laughs> yeah i guess the really you know and again i have no idea how this works but i would suspect that a lot of these language models have learned off of those sites have they oh, not i guarantee you they have I, <laughs> yeah like how else would they know right like it's got to be the biggest repository for programming data Ever. Absolutely. They've so, scraped Stack Overflow. They've scraped Reddit, I'm sure. They've yeah. scraped anything they could get their hands on. Yeah. So. yeah. Uh, okay, perfect. So let's leave Gen AI and what it's going to do to the world behind us. And let's talk about yeah. another thing. Let's talk about the well-architected framework. And I, oh, I yeah. mentioned sort of as we were getting ready for this, that I sprung, you, sprung this one on you. And it's just yes. because uh, I like to follow the AWS news site. It's this yeah. weird little thing I have. This is, this is going to tell you what my life is like, but sort of as I end my work day, I go to the AWS news site. I don't read the articles because how are you possibly going to keep up with the, the number of release updates every day? It's a fire hose. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. But I scroll through it. Oops, hang on a second. Oh, um, there's my, my home automation <laughs> we were talking about. Turn thanks, that Mike. off. Yeah, thanks. Um, so uh, what was I saying? The, the home automation messed me up. Um, oh, you were going down the oh the, the new site. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't read them all because there's no way that you could possibly do it. But I I often scroll through it and I'm just looking for services that we're using for particular projects or services that I know customers are asking us about stuff like that. And I'm just kind of trying to get the quick scoop on things that may have changed that we can either use in our own projects or, or pass those on to customers, right? So I, I sure. tend to end my day there. And this one actually, I don't know how I missed this. Um, I was actually working on a well-architected uh, review the other day and I went yeah. in, I was telling you before we started, right? I went in and it said, hey, there's an update. You should update your 
I'll just call it the question set, right? And I updated it. It's a huge update. Um, it's across all six of the pillars. Oh, and wow. if you scroll into this article a little bit, you know, you get the, the marketing slide, right? How great the, the yep. framework review has been and blah, blah, blah. But you can see here, they go through each of the each of the pillars and they tell you about the updates. And you can see, what does it say here? All 10 best practices in Ops 05 have been updated. We've consolidated yep. all 28 be best practices into 16 across all, like this is a huge update. So there They're was a really ton of stuff. Oh yeah, it's yeah. a complete retool. I I had to go back and I have to, like I've got my little cheat sheet of all the questions. I don't know why mm -hmm. I did this, but I often found if I'm looking at a particular question, uh, I just find it easier. I got a little cheat sheet in a Google sheet and I just I just have the high level notes there. I had to go yeah. back and update that whole thing because I, there was a lot of stuff that was no longer, uh, it was either not in my cheat sheet list or the guidance or the way that they had worded the question had changed. So I had to go back and spend a fair amount of time kind of updating. I'm sure there's a better way to do that, but uh, it's kind of the system I've had. Yeah. So yeah. it works. Yeah. Good old spreadsheets. They'll never go away. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the world runs on them. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I thought this was really interesting. Lots of, of new updates. And then the thing that I found really kind of cool is right here, right? You can see kind of what they've done. Uh, updates and improvements to 90 best practices they're yeah, showing wow. you like where you know the sort of distribution of those updates uh you know 151 best practices released in 2023 so this this has really grown from i remember when we used to do reviews and we would literally take the questions maybe this is yeah. where the habit came from we would dump them into a spreadsheet and we would sit like in a call like this and say okay question one how do you make sure your accounts are secure? Oh, we do it this way. And you'd, you'd make a note and you continue on. Um, it's amazing to see how it's gone. I guess if we scroll back, how it's gone from when the well-architected framework came into, well, inception back in 2012 to what it is now in 2023. It's, it's, it's good impressive. to see. Yeah. It's good to see that they're yeah. pushing this because uh, it's good to have these guidelines for account yeah. set up security, et cetera, right? Like, well, one of the things that I kind of have always liked about the well-architected framework is, you know, from a marketing perspective, we always hear, look how fast you can go in AWS or any cloud provider for that matter, right? You can, you can stand your solution up and have it ready this afternoon. You can absolutely do that. But in many cases, when you're doing that, you're probably overlooking a lot of these sort of, hey, this is the way you should do this stuff. I don't want to it's say properly, yeah. but here are here are a set of best practices that you might want to take into consideration. So having this as sort of your, um, well, just to use a word we used earlier on, a companion, right, where you can go back and say, okay, are we encrypting everything at rest? Are we encrypting everything in transit? How are we protecting the accounts? Like how are, are humans logging into these accounts? Those types of things, just as sort of a a a place that you can go to validate that you're heading in the right direction. I think this is super valuable. Yeah, this is good. Yeah. Um, have you taken a look? So are the questions, you've taken a look at them on the actual console, right? Yeah, I have. How are they looking? Is it uh, good Good changes overall? Or Yeah, I would say so. I think a few of them I found as kind of like, I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to be able to give you a good example sort of like, off yeah. the top of my head, but kind of when I read them the first time, I'm like, uh, 
I don't know if I understand what they're asking me for. So there was a fair amount of looking at the question and having to go back into the documentation and kind right. of reading, because they do a great job at saying, this is sort of the intent of this. Um, so some of the questions, you know, you get the one or two sentence sort of summary of it in the the well-architected tool, which I wanted to talk about. But I did find that I had to go back for some of the newer stuff and kind of read a little bit more about it. But I think they were on point. I think they're, it's some some good improvements here that will help you continue to build solutions according to best practice. That's good. Yeah. What's new yeah. with the tool? What's well, I didn't see a lot. In, you're thinking about the well-architected tool? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. At least on the surface, I didn't notice a lot had changed in the tool itself. To me, okay. it seemed it seemed identical. It just had a when I did the update, it had a bunch of questions that I didn't have in my original the, the oh, milestone so. that I had created before. But the tool itself, as far as I could tell, hasn't changed. Okay, so they're just okay. updated the yeah. actual yeah. data questions you yeah. wanted. Okay. There are a couple interesting updates to the well-architected tool, though, and I was digging around a little bit. There's now, um, what are they called? Review templates, I think. And I kind of thought at first it allowed me, because in a lot of the reviews we'll do is, like we'll say, hey, this question doesn't apply. And we've got to go right. in and, and mark it, not apply, and give it a reason why, and all that kind of just for completeness' sake. So they're and not I was, using the service. Right? Yeah, they're not using a, a particular service, or they might just say it's out of scope for what we want to review, right? Um, and I kind of in my head thought that the review templates would help with that, where I could just script something mm -hmm. out to say, create a review, or, or yeah, I guess create a review and enable this and turn this off. And sure. I don't think that's what it's for. I only had a quick look at it, and I'm like. I'm going down a rabbit hole here when I've got real work to do. So, you know, shiny tool, shiny fun stuff over here instead of real work. So I was like, right. oh, wait, go look at this later. Uh, but I didn't really see much else in the tool itself, just updates to the questions and some rewording and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, if, you, if, if anybody is watching or listens to this later on and you're not familiar with the well-architected framework and the well-architected tool, I, I would suggest that you, there's six pillars, uh, which are the kind of the core documents. Then there's a whole bunch of lenses that are associated with the well-architected framework. I would yeah. suggest strongly that, uh, that you go through them. It's not engaging reading, so I don't think you would want to read it when you're maybe a little sleepy because... Or maybe if you're having a hard time well, sleeping, you could try to read it and yeah. maybe you would sleep, right? Uh, but I definitely think if you're building solutions or you want to review something that you've built, uh, it's it's a just a, a great resource. Yeah. yeah I'd and then, yeah, anything else you want to talk about here? No, uh, that's, uh, yeah, that all, I'm all for updates to the well-architected framework. That's uh, yeah. pretty good. Yeah. As much as uh, building technology stuff is fun, I think kind of, well, this is actually a nice segue. The documentation and yeah. making sure you're following best practice, less, uh, let's use the word sexy, right? It's not Gen AI, but it's definitely something that needs to be done. Right? Be, yeah. and, and done often to make sure that things are still following best practice. And that leads us nicely into this. Um, so what I have, if, if you can't see it, I'm not sure, is the Google Cloud State of DevOps Report for 2023. I love oh, yep. these reports. This is a beast. Uh, you can see on my screen, it's 95 pages. Oh, my God. Yeah. Did, <laughs> did I read all 95 pages? No. 
Uh, will I? Yes, over time. Okay. Um, but the, <laughs> the thing that I wanted to point out, a couple things, yeah. and this is sort of the segue I was thinking about from the last, uh, the last slide there, is chapter four, documentation is foundational. Um, and, and it's really interesting here, you know, the first sentence, quality documentation is foundational. It drives the successful implementation of technical capabilities, blah, 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 blah. That's good to see. Yeah. And it's often overlooked, right? It's, it's kind of like the last thing on your to-do list and then 14 other things happen and the documentation continues to fall to the bottom of the list. And you're like, we'll do that next week. We'll do it next week. And then, uh, well, before you know it, uh, it's not done or by the time it's done, uh, the actual solution has changed dramatically from right. It can get out of hand and what you thought it was, right? So far from yeah. what is the actual state, yeah. yeah. Especially in a in a cloud platform, it doesn't matter which cloud platform, yeah. because it's a software based solution, uh, it can change so quickly, which means your documentation is probably out of date. Uh, whether you're a great practicer of good documentation or not, um, you know it it could be. That documentation could be outdated very quickly. But I, I just, this is the thing that struck me because I know a lot of times if we ask for documentation, build docs, reference architectures, it's kind of like crickets, right? Or right. something we get, you look at and you go, okay, tell me where this is. Oh, that doesn't exist anymore. Well, how about this piece? No, that, we moved that over here. You're like, okay, so you don't have documentation then, is what you're saying in a roundabout way. Pretty so I much, thought this was yeah. really interesting. Yeah, they're putting a heavy emphasis on it. So it looks like well, there's an interesting correlation here between documentation quality and burnout levels. Yes. Yeah. That is fascinating. Yeah. So it's on I, page Yeah, 29. I think I'm looking at it. I think I scrolled to it. Uh, oh, you're talking about the little uh, graph here? Yeah, but you're yeah. probably looking at the actual yeah. data. And I, I, I'm on page 28, and they just yep. have sort of an aspects of well-being, which I actually think this is a really cool theme they go through, uh, they, yep. they follow throughout the report, is they just sort of say, hey, does this significantly improve, significantly decrease, or is there no change, right? Depending on, do you have good documentation or not? And I thought this was really interesting. Aspects of well-being, burnout, effective quality documentation, substantial decrease in uh, burnout, but it can substantially increase your job satisfaction and productivity, which logically mm. makes sense, right? Yeah, especially in like uh, in bigger projects when yeah. you have multiple people working in the same system. Yeah, keeping the documentation up to date can be essential for that. I can see yeah. how that could spiral pretty quickly. Yeah, and I I also like uh, if you're looking at the same page that I'm on now, page 28 again on the left yeah. hand column. They've got technical capabilities and then amplification of impact on organizational performance. And you can see sort of uh, some of the things we've talked about, right? Yeah. Artificial yeah, intelligence contribution, your development practices, boost. pretty interesting stuff. What is trunk-based development? It's trunk not like a 12.8x boost on org performance, apparently. Isn't that just a, isn't that a just an approach to how you're organizing your repos oh is that like a oh trunk is in git tree kind of yeah, situation i think so right okay. do they call oh, it git, the... git ops like all the different ways to manage your repos okay yeah, trunk it's a... versus versus feature development stuff like that yeah i found it at lacy in article it about it it's a version control practice where developers merge small frequent updates 
updates to a core trunk or main branch. Okay, so that's I mean that is what that's basically what we do. What so we do. We branch off if you're working on something, you pull a dev branch, you work on the feature, and then you commit it back to main when it's ready. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. I bet you if we had uh, enough people on here with us, we could probably talk about approaches to effective repo management till the end of time. Oh sure. Probably. Yeah. Everybody's going to have a very strong opinion on the best way to Almost do it. Almost tribal. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess we do trunk-based development without actually calling it that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good to know, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the first thing that, that I kind of, just because of some of the things we've been working on lately, right, around documentation yeah. and stuff, this really just jumped out at me uh, immediately. And then the other thing is uh, you're laughing like those kevin just said for days oh for days yeah um flexible infrastructure is a key to success which again let's read yeah. the first sentence here flexible infrastructure is a predictor of team performance organizational performance operational performance and software delivery performance wow that makes the, sense yeah it I makes mean, sense like original original agile tenant right like you want to yeah. be able to let the, the the developers be flexible and yeah create what they need to so yeah i thought it was interesting on the if you're looking at the same page that i'm at i'm on page 38 now if you've got the report oh, there yeah. and i up. like on the takeaways on the left hand side and then the introduction on the right hand side they're going back to one of the original definitions of what cloud computing is from the the nist organization yeah. right on-demand self-service broad network access resource pooling all of these things that really define what public cloud is um kind of as sort of really important things to still keep in mind. And it, the reason this jumped out at me is not that I don't disagree with it. I just think as soon as you start talking about flexible infrastructure, mm -hmm. that makes your, uh, your documentation even more challenging because how do you make sure that your docs match what's actually happening because I have given somebody an on-demand uh, on self-service portal. I think there's a lot of control yeah. mechanisms that need to be in place, um, you know, for security and cost perspectives and all those great important things. But uh, these are the two things. I'm sure there's lots of other fantastic little nuggets of information in here, but as I skimmed yeah. this, uh, these are the ones that jumped out at me. Yeah, I think that's where infrastructure as code comes in right? Because you want your templates to kind of be the representation of what's going on and that can kind of act as its own documentation. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully we see continue. I mean, I know people are continuing to adopt it with the uh, Terraform on all the other, all the public clouds and then CloudFormation in AWS, the CDK is pretty cool. Yeah. So hopefully that trend continues. Yeah. I, I, I don't see any better way to do it at this point. Um, yeah. Like I know I'm kind of the, I like cloud formation and I know that yeah. doesn't necessarily resonate with everybody, but for me, just writing those templates in JSON or YAML, you know exactly what you're going to get every single time you run it and you don't need to know a programming language, but it doesn't really matter as long as you're describing your infrastructure as code, pick, pick what makes sense for you, right? Just make sure that right. everything is codified and then... I think the challenge with, just because we're talking about infrastructure as code, the challenge is often not necessarily the templates, but the 
human access that's allowed to those accounts after the fact because you could you right. could describe everything just perfectly it's pr pristine <laughs> you deploy it and joe logs in 20 minutes later and goes yeah. oh well i'm just gonna fix this and joe happens to be a power user in the account and your templates have drifted within five minutes of them being deployed so i think the the biggest challenge with with iac regardless of the of the tool choice that you make is um how do you make sure that people can't change those infrastructure pieces without going through some kind of document well, code review yeah. or like you know you yeah. got to go through the pipeline to deploy those updates um that's I yeah. think the challenging part and that's not a technology discussion that's a that's a, a cultural that's a discussion problem. right yeah it's a people yeah. problem yeah. you need buy-in for that <laughs> Yeah. From everyone, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And just don't give anybody any access other than read only. That would that, fix it. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I bet you'd have some unhappy folks. Uh, uh, yeah. After the fact, when they can't do what they could do the day before, uh, that would you be, might. be challenging. I don't know if there's anything else in here that I think this is a really great report. But again, like I haven't kind of run through this reading, in, it looks in like, any great yeah. detail. You know, this actually just because we were talking about this, and we'll wrap up on this one is. Um, there's another report. I'm going to, I'm going to mess this up. It's, is it sneak, uh, is it a company called sneak the, uh, container security company? It's like S N Y K. I never know if it's sneak or snick. Or I have no idea how you're supposed to say it, <laughs> but they have, it's outdated a little bit, but they have a, I think it's from 2022. It's a, yep. um, cloud security report that I, again, stumbled across. Uh, I don't know what I was looking for, but Google spit it out at me and I, I downloaded a copy of it. It's, it's actually really good. And the, I think if I'm remembering, there's lots of problems, right? Lots of security issues within uh, accounts. But if I recall the report, the biggest issue is uh, uh, misconfiguration around security groups. It was like 25%, 30% of yep, people said that, much. that they have... Uh, a security group. Well, because well, you want to make your website to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I think we're losing you. That's wild. Yeah. Pretty crazy, right? Well, I know. I think oh, uh, no. that's pretty good. About 45 minutes of chatting on a couple different articles. So I hope uh, the folks that joined us live here enjoyed that. Thanks for hanging out with us for a little bit. We're going to wrap up here. As always, we're, we're going to publish this onto YouTube, so you can always go back and find it later. Uh, you can subscribe to our newsletter, which would keep you up to date on when we're going to do these. We're going to try to do them weekly, but you never know, right? And then uh, we are tossing around the idea of, of dumping this audio format somewhere. So uh, thanks for hanging out with us for 45 minutes, and uh, enjoy the weekend. Thanks, Travers. Yeah, thanks. Bye, everyone. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.